Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 178 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, we're going to be finding out all about apres ski in the Alps. We're going to be looking at skiing in Bosnia and finding out about mountain biking in the French Alps. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Uh, firstly, for the first time on the show, we have Ella from Apres Ski Bands. Hi, Ella. How are you? Hi, Ian. Good, thank you. Welcome aboard. Whereabouts are you today? I'm based in Courchevel um, and our office for Apres Ski Bands is just up the road from me in Maribel. Excellent. Uh, also on the show today, we have uh, Chris Moran. I could call you a regular now. You were last on the uh, episode 171 when we talk about action cameras. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in our last episode, 177, where I interviewed Tim Warwood, he also mentioned you as well. But uh, hi, Chris. Welcome back to the show. Hello. <laughs> Whereabouts are you today? Are you in Courchevel? Today, Brighton. But I am often, like Ellen, based in uh, Courchevel. Excellent. And finally, I'd like to welcome back uh, Mike Richards. Regular listeners will know Mike very well as he's been on the show on many times telling us about his travels around the world. He was last on in episode 170 when he was telling us about Rizutsu in uh, Japan. Hi, Mike. How are you? Morning, Ian. How are things? Yeah, it's good. And it's lovely to have you back on the show. Let's ask the question that I always uh, do start off with, which is when did you last ski or snowboard? Let's start with you, Mike. I was very fortunate to ski on the 11th and 12th of April in uh, the Brecon Beacons National Park, or Bannerbergheinjog, as it's now been rebranded <laughs> in, in Wales. Yeah. Uh, two days with my regular ski partner, Chris, um, and some of the wildest winds we've ever experienced. Okay, I think I saw some photos uh, from that. What was the snow cover like on the uh, the 11th of April? It, it was pretty extensive, actually. Normally, um, the, the lower snowfalls, but more regular, are in the winter periods in, in Wales. And then come springtime, we do get these really big, massive storms that come in that can drop anything from six inches to, to over a couple of feet in, in one little spell. So we had about uh, 10 inches of snow. It was being blown all over the, the park, but uh, it was decent skiing, but the visibility was shocking and uh, you were poling downhill at, at times because of the wind. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, well, listener, if you'd like to know more about skiing in Wales, we actually did a special with Mike. I'll put a link uh, into the uh, show notes. Uh, Ella, what about yourself? You're based out in the Alps. I've been looking at the webcams. There's still loads of snow up on uh, Salir and in VT. Are you one of those ski tourers who's still going up there just now? No, not at the moment, I, but I do get to enjoy the Grombeck from my bedroom window, which is quite a privilege. <laughs> um, the last time I skied, I think it was Sunday, the 9th of April. It was my one of my last day off just, just before we completed some closing parties. So that was a nice day out with my husband in Courchevel with a lovely lunch thrown in as well. So I'm Excellent. That, that, <laughs> that, that sounds, that sounds uh, great. Do you know of anyone who's been ski touring uh, just recently? Uh, not recently. No, we've um, taken our holidays just now. So everyone's been either out the country or, um, yeah, trying to book in our summer gigs. So we've been back in the office. For yeah, the well, I've, been, I've been watching that snow line on the webcam just creep higher and higher. But evidently, you know, in those higher altitudes, there's still a lot of snow. You know, we're into uh, we're into June now, which is which is very encouraging across the board for summer skiing in the Alps. I know there's none in, in Little Valais, but in other resorts such as um uh, Ladies Alp and Zermatt and you know, hopefully Val d'Isère will open this summer in teen. They should be pretty well placed for uh, for summer skiing. Chris, what about yourself? I know you're a, normally a snowboarder, sometimes a, a skier. When were you last on snow? Uh, yeah, end of April. It was absolutely amazing. We had powder days all the way up until the closing of um, closing of the lifts in, in Courchevel and Maribel. Uh, and up at the top of Cote Bruin, I mean, it was as as wintry as it gets, even by I think about the twentieth of April, we had some of the best powder of the of the winter. 
Yeah, I was looking at that. And normally I get to ski in April, but it didn't happen uh, this year. But uh, again, you know, very, very encouraging, um, you know, after last summer and looking good uh, for carrying that snow through uh, into the summer months. Now, a couple of things I just wanted to uh, mention since the last show. I was at uh, uh, the snow centre in Hemel Hempstead last week. I didn't actually go skiing myself, but it was a brilliant uh, event organised by uh, Rob Stewart from Ski Press. And there were quite a few brands there. And the real bonus of it for me was to get to meet a whole bunch of people in real life. I often interviewing people, you know, on the uh, podcast uh, here. Uh, and I got to see uh, Chemi Alcott, who was in episode 175. Graham Bell was there. We had Babsy and Steve Morgan, who are both in episode 176. And in particular, I really enjoyed seeing Jasmine Taylor, who regular listeners will know, a British telemarker, who I've never met in person, despite the fact that she's been on the podcast itself on many occasions. So that was a, a really good event. Um, I also wanted to mention uh, Dan Keeley. Uh, I think I mentioned that in the uh, in episode 176. He is currently running over a thousand miles from London to Rome. And as we record today, he is due to arrive in Rome in a couple of hours time. Uh, I can see from the live tracker, he's got 19 kilometers left and he's no, 19 miles left. And he's done 1,130 already. He's been averaging 35 uh, miles a day for the last 35 uh, days. It really is a quite incredible achievement. And you can find out uh, more about that on the uh, home to Rome, uh, dot run website. And he is raising funds for the campaign against living miserably uh, and for snow camp. And I'll put a link in there. If you feel so inclined and you wanted to sponsor him, I think he's raised about £7,000 so far. He's hoping to raise £10,000 in total. So you can find out uh, more about that in the show notes. Now, let's move on. Uh, the, the ski podcast is sponsored by Le Travelet. It's the largest ski area in the world. We've mentioned it a couple of uh, times already. We've got a couple of people on the show this week who uh, live there. Um, I wanted to uh, come to you, uh, Chris, uh, because I know you do quite a lot of uh, uh, mountain biking. And um, I wondered if you could just uh, tell us a little more about the mountain biking on offer in Le Travelet. Le Travelet. Um... Yeah, so, well, I suppose Maribel is probably the place which is has the most developed trails um, because it had the World Cup, I think it was probably about 2014. Uh, so they invested a huge amount into the trail network there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing, really. There's... there's um, Obviously, they use some of the infrastructure from the, from the ski world. So there's a couple of you, you, you guys will probably know if you've been there in the winter, you'll know the Padillac lift. That's one of the main lifts. Uh, they don't open the Salir, unfortunately, but there's a few different chair lifts that are open. So it's not the whole network of lifts that's open, but the network of actual trails is amazing. And you've got the kind of bike park trails. Again, they're mostly centered in, in Maribel. And then you've got what, what what's known as the Enduro trails. But what's interesting is that you can... Uh, so then the towns like Breedleban um, and the, the lower towns down in the valley come into play. Because actually what you want with mountain biking is the opposite of the skiing world. You want to be lower down. You want to be in the forests where the, you know, the smells are nicer and it's, it's cooler and it's, it's, uh, it's just a nicer place to mountain bike. The higher up you go, if it, it just gets rocky and steep. And that's not okay. really so fun on the mountain bikes. Yeah, and so where you know, if you were starting off, would you would you go to Breed or would you go up into Maribel and start from up there? Um, so, if you're just starting, you'd start in Maribel and you'd use the uh, probably you'd use Tunyet lift and you'd do what's the best lift there for sort of um, well, it works for beginners and and really good riders. It's called Woodstoked and it accesses an area which isn't open in the winter so it's it's actually i think there was a toboggan course but it basically goes through the forest down to the trout run which you might yeah. know it's the, the link run um but you're in this just basically this hill which is it's not accessible in the winter so you you see in another part of the three valleys as well but then there are also lots of runs that go down to breed again they're in places that you would never ski so you're going through these little villages and on the shoulder of lesaloo and those kind of places um and uh, and there's uh, unfortunately they don't open the the Breedleban lift, but there is a 
a free bus with a um a trailer so you get on get, get on that and you can go so actually you could do it without even buying the lift pass because the free buses accesses some of the best um runs in the valley anyway right so so that gondola from breedlebound back up into maribel is not open in the uh, summer no the argument is always th- this is the chicken and egg thing that mountain bike the, the problem with the the list is that they, they don't open lo- lots of the list and they say oh yeah well you know the the scene isn't that big but of course it would get bigger if um if, if there was more lifts and more trails um places like Leger and Morzine really are the centre for, for, for French mountain biking at the moment. Uh, and then some of the smaller places, so Set Low, which is not very well known for the UK market, is next to Grenoble. Um, that's a really, really good uh, place. I think it, they're slowly getting there. I, mean, I trust the Three Valleys will. I mean, they've invested so much into the road biking. They will get it right for the mountain biking. But at the moment, the mentality is we're the Three Valleys. We're known for having this huge network of of, of skiing trails so we should therefore have the same with the mountain bike stuff whereas actually i think what the mountain bikers really want is one good chairlift with like 10 trails off it and you you know sometimes you don't want to do 40 kilometers of downhill you want to do a kilometer because by the end of that your arms are done you know? yeah so it's it, that mentality does need to change it will change um but yeah unfortunately they don't open some of the yeah. obvious lifts but maybe and- that will change with the Bozell lift Right. Okay. We'll come to that. We'll come to that in due course. And so you, you like uh, downhill mountain biking, uh, do you? Is that your uh, preferred option? Um, lazy mountain biking, but the less <laughs> pedaling, the better. Okay. The more, the more fun. The, the, the only time that I've tried that, I found it terrifying. And it may have been terrifying because I didn't have what I considered to be adequate armor, adequate protection. <laughs> I'm guessing you're quite well kitted up when you do that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Falls are not as fun as the snow, snow falls. But then again, this is the thing. So you probably did it somewhere where it was uh, steep and rocky, and that's where it gets really scary. Whereas when it's in the forest and it's much more... So so here's the thing, right? So, so Mike, I'm assuming that you're from Wales. Um, and Wales has some of the best mountain biking in the world. I mean, it, it's it's not... You know, Bike Park Wales is probably the best place to go mountain biking in the world which is near Merthyr. And the reason for that is because Rowan Sorrell, who's the owner, is, is an old friend of mine. He's, he has gone around the world building trails and he's built the most perfect trail centre in Wales because he extracts the most fun out of the mountainside. You don't want to be going straight downhill on the brakes. What you want to do is you want to basically traverse. And there are trails now in the Three Valleys that have that. Woodstokes is a great example you, you wouldn't be terrified if you went down Woodstokes. It, it, it's, again, it's a slight different mentality. Even, even some of the cat tracks, you'd think the cat tracks in the Three Valleys would be really fun to mountain bike, but they're almost too steep. You want, you really, you know, the wheels are so much more efficient than sliding on snow, so you don't want it to be steep. And are there any, in the winter, there's often, you know, snow parks. Are there parks uh, that are accessible that you would use in either Courchevel, Maribel, or...? Yeah, there's a there's a bike park in um, in in Maribel, and it's um, it, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's uh, it's exactly as a, as you would if you've been to the snow parks. It's the same sort of thing. You know, big big kickers, but obviously they're dirt and and um, uh, yeah. And, and actually, that one you can I think you can walk that one. There isn't a lift for it, so you have to kind of do laps. But again, the bikes are more efficient, and there's a huge shift to e-bikes, so people can just loop things and. Um, you know, get as many laps in as they, as they want. What's your view on e-bikes then? Is that is that cheating? Do you think, or is that uh, you know a brilliant innovation? No, brilliant, and everyone's coming to that conclusion. I mean, there's very few people who um, who would say that they're anything other than a huge advantage because you're still out on this on the bike for the same amount of hours. You're still using the same calories. You're just riding more, and who doesn't want to do that? Right, I like it. I it's like the it. difference between touring and, and using the lift to go skiing. I mean, it's great to go ski touring. Everyone loves going ski touring. But if you've got a lift there and you can get five laps of the same powder field, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> yeah, I guess there's lots of different comparisons uh, between the two. Sometimes you might want to go uh, touring just to get to an area that you wouldn't be able to get that's lift access. Would people use e-bikes like that? 
Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. I mean, you know, there's so so there's a difference there between the bike park trails, the downhill trails, and the enduro trails. And the enduro trails are what probably what you would like because you like the fitness side of things, and that's where you're going uphill as well as downhill. Uh, the e-bikes, again, I mean, you know, if if you did one of the enduro trails in 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 Maribel, for example, and you went all the way down to Bozelle or to Breedlepan, you're looking at possibly like an 80 kilometer loop. I mean, this is a huge amount of of riding. And, you know, on a normal bike, I mean, that's going to ruin most people. You'd probably be able to do it, but not many people could do it. But on an e-bike, suddenly that becomes accessible for the vast majority of riders. Which yeah, is, it's, certainly, it's certainly de- democratising uh, from, from that point of view. Now, I know that you live in Brazil and you mentioned uh, that lift. Yeah, I recently uh, wrote a blog post uh, about that for, um, for JT Ski, but I believe it's kind of getting, getting closer. It's been under discussion for many years, this lift that's going to go from Brazil. And for benefit, uh, listener, if you're not uh, kind of familiar, this is kind of down in the valley, almost round to the uh, side, a bit further on towards Champagny if people uh, know that. And the proposal is to connect it up uh, to Courcheval 1550, I think, uh, via San Bon, which is one of the villages uh, in between. Is that now definitely going to happen, uh, Chris? <laughs> oh, it depends who you talk to. So the, Bo- the Mary de Bozelle, it's on their official website. It's, um, I think they're debating, I think the French government have stepped in and said that they will pay for the construction or they'll help with the construction. I think the issue is the maintenance and, and the, the staffing of it, like because it, it straddles two Marys. So it straddles the Mary de Bozelle and the Mary de Courchevel. And I think the argument is who's going who's gonna to pay because it benefits them both, but in really different ways. Obviously, it benefits the, the traffic congestion because sometimes, especially on Saturdays in the busy periods of the winter, those roads are all it takes is for one person to not have snow tires or snow chains. And it's suddenly chaos everywhere. For, maybe for people who don't know the place, Bozelle is now essentially where I'd say most of the people who live and work in the Three Valleys maybe not most, but there's a huge majority of people uh, or a huge amount of people do live in Bozelle. So it's kind of like the, you know, a, a place where lots of the workers for the three valleys are, and it would enable people to get on the, on the, on the hill a little bit better as well. Yeah. I mean, I was reading an article about it on uh, one of the French websites uh, somewhere. I, I was reading down through the kind of below the line comments and it seems to be quite mixed. The, thoughts amongst locals because for some people they can definitely identify yeah i think in peak season you get twenty thousand cars a day maybe driving up that uh, road and so it would make it a lot better if you could take those cars uh, off the road um but equally there's going to be a huge impact on bazelle itself because you have to build a you know a big car park there as well as all the uh, disruption from building the lift itself yeah, no, I, I saw, I think we we're talking probably about the same Facebook post. It was one of the Savoie newspapers and they'd done a, you know, they specifically asked if people for or against it. And it's surprising the number of people that are against it. But that's the internet, right? That's that's what happens <laughs> if you put a comment saying. Do they have that acronym uh, in France over here? It's, uh, you know, if you're a NIMBY, not in my backyard. I don't know <laughs> if that translates to friend. Uh, Ella, you'd be, you know, familiar with this uh, uh, lift as well, because obviously it would affect you i think you live a bit further up the mountain don't you but perhaps from where you live la perriere to get to uh, saint bon would it make life easier at all yeah i think like chris said to make that road clearer and the guarantee of that one person not (laughs) putting their snow chains on and then uh, the backlog of the road it would be yeah that would be so much better um and yeah the amount of people that live and work down there the amount of ski instructors we know that are down that way friends friends of ours as well lots of lots of musicians we work with the down that way that would be a lovely commute to work to be able to have that addition i think um yeah do a lot for the area definitely okay and are you aware of any you know nimbyism let's say some people who don't want to see that lift arrive from people that i've spoken to it's i think it's going to be a very welcome thing Right. That's about okay. as much as I can okay. Well, what I, what, what I yeah. saw was that, uh, you know, they put out tenders for, uh, you know, a company to operate it. And unsurprisingly, um, 
Three Valleys Association have put in a bid uh, to run that uh, lift. So that's the next stage. So it's really just the uh, the funding side of things. But you know, we'll keep an eye on that one. That will be really interesting. Uh, Chris, that was re- that was really good. Thanks for letting us know about the um, the VTT mountain biking in your area. I'm going to come back to uh, Ella now. Uh, if if that's okay now you work at Apres ski bands really that sounds like it does what it says on the tin i assume the business is all about organizing and booking Apres ski bands uh, how, you know how does that how does that work what's your role there so we this season alone for example we've booked just under three and a half thousand gigs throughout the winter season throughout uh the alps um i know we're focusing on the three valleys particularly for this episode but yeah, we've worked with around 82. We did a bit of a tot-up the other day. I think it was about 82 client venues for this just this winter. And I think it was around 71 solos, duos, bands, DJs that we've worked with as well. Um, it's, it's a full-on busy winter, but we love it. We love putting on that show for when people come off the mountains and they essentially ski for the day and then almost have a choice of a mini festival and resort of of various resorts where you're going to be going for your party with your friends at the end of the day. Yeah, I like it. Well, I have it. I've experienced it on many occasions. Uh, more the apre when uh, I was younger, but I found that very interesting descent. So you said 82 venues, but 71 bands, those 70 odd bands or acts, do they, they don't all live out in the out. Some of them come out specifically and do a short tour. Is that how that works? We have a mixture of musicians that live in France or surrounding countries that are here year round. We have musicians who will come out for the entire winter season uh, now with A1s as well as a, a visa. We also have musicians who will come out here, like you say, for a short tour that we will arrange for them um, so that they might have a, a residency or two within that, as well as gigs in various venues throughout the Alps yeah a real mix of musicians and their personal situations but we try and make it work for for everybody that wants to give this a go that we think are promising and can do the job okay you say yeah if they're promising and can do the job so what what do you think makes a a good performer or you know band specifically for a ski resort environment I think you need the engagement with the crowd you need fun energy and attitude like we said we it's it's like the ultimate wedding party, basically. Think about what you'd want from going to that wedding. You want to be dancing with your friends, singing singing along to the hits. And uh, that's what the guys that we represent provide, basically. In order to have that uh, ideal rounded package, yes, we'd like them to be able to do the serenading bit as well. Maybe they want a, a restaurant wants a lunchtime gig, for example, at Altitude or something a bit more chilled or uh hotel vibes might want something a bit more relaxed for their apre if they can do everything then that's that's perfect for us for how we work and program with the client venues excellent we'll come back to you know what kind of venues are looking for just now but i want to ask you a question about brexit because you know that must be com- that must have <laughs> complicated things in the last few years in terms of you know, getting performers over from the UK to the Alps. I think there's a, like a special visa you can get to allow it to happen, isn't it? Yeah, essentially, this is happening. That's that now. So the last couple of years has been a real, um, I wouldn't say labour of love. It's been a labour to work out how <laughs> we can make this work. So everybody that we represent is self-employed, if they're coming from the UK, for example. And um, all of the musicians that have applied for a visa to enable them to stay for the four months, maybe the five months that they're in the Alps. They've all been successful. Uh, we're just communicating the whole time with everybody to ensure that we know exactly the paperwork they need, um, the documentation that we can supply to support their bid to come and work out here. Um, some of our guys, I think, were actually the first people in the UK to request, to request their specific type of visas. Um, and therefore, it's been a very, very much a learning curve for I think um, the UK uh, visa application offices, um, but we're making it work. We have to. We have no choice, um, and it, it means that musicians can still come out and perform for a, for a longer period of time. 
So previously we had um, Diane Palombo from Ski World on the podcast who was telling us about how it's now it's actually possible to get visas for staff to go out and work in chalets, etc. But there's this increasing administrative burden attached to it yeah. and and a, a cost involved effectively uh, because there's time involved so that must uh, have eaten into a bunch of you know your time yeah I mean it, it does but uh, I think the musicians that they have to then surrender their passports for a couple of weeks so that can sometimes halt um maybe a bit of other work that they might have in the pipeline but again we're just we're just having to make it we're having to make it work and last year we had a hundred percent success rate with everybody that applied so I think as time goes on with all of these things it will become maybe just more straightforward everybody knows the routine and the rhythm that they need to be going through in order to get what they need to, to come out here and work still Good. Well, I like the idea that, uh, you know, it's still possible and, uh, you know, Brexit has obviously changed uh, many things, but if it's not going to stop bands uh, going out. Now, we, you touched on, you know, what venues were uh, looking for. And it, it strikes me that <clears throat> what we might consider to be apres ski has changed quite a lot over the years. You might call it the uh, the folly deuce effect. But it seems that, uh, you know, Apreski is kind of delivered in a slightly different way, particularly in France uh, now. What do, you, what do you think about that? I think the folly, what the folly do is, is fantastic. And for about, I'd say, 10, maybe 15 years, they've been really riding that wave of the, the Saxon DJ or violinist and DJ, um, which started in the Cote d'Azur, really. And that's fantastic. Lots of places would like to emulate that, but it doesn't always work in all venues it can be quite full-on and in your face um so there are venues that are making that work for them um we've got venues at altitude that are wanting the the live performer maybe it's a bit more chilled or they want that uh dj playing some uh i say i be for vibes if you know what i mean they want that relaxed sort of lunch feel um that can then ramp it up if they need to with maybe introducing the live musician as well uh, but the there's venues that are still focusing on that live element. And I personally, I still think having that engagement with that live band, uh, again, that like we said before, that fun, the energy that they can bring, um, that's priceless, really. And the venues yeah. that are still focused on doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's been to a, an apreski uh event show uh, in the outs will know what we're talking about i mean there is it, it does vary by country i mean you know i've been to uh you know classic let's say st anton you're skiing down stop at the kk or the moose on the way down that while people you know evidently having a brilliant time and dancing on the tables uh etc it almost seems a bit kind of cheesy compared to some uh at prey that you can get let's say, in France and elsewhere. Do you think that's true? I think I think people like dancing on tables. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it depends what you're looking for, really. I think the, with the clientele, it's so international. The, very, the variation of venues that we have around here in the Three Valleys, I think, can offer a little bit of everything for everybody. So it can be quite cheesy, but if you want to keep on keep on rocking out you've got those choices as well in resorts okay and uh, mike yeah i think much like most resorts you know there's something for everyone and each resort offers a different thing i mean when you look at some of the apre it's kind of organized fun and then you go to other places and you, and you look at your watch and six hours later you go how the hell am i still here you know it, it depends what people are looking for i guess yeah well i guess that's always the case isn't it each to their own um Ella, what about, could you give us an unbiased view? Obviously, working with a lot of venues, 82 uh, venues, that is a huge number. What if we narrowed it down to uh, Les Trois Valais? Where do you think you would find the uh, the best apres ski, taking in mind uh, Mike's comment that, you know, everyone's looking for something uh, different? But what uh, what tips would you offer? Um, I think we've got starting some venues are starting from around three they're doing two at ski gigs a day um so for example you've got uh the ronnie uh the ron point in maribel they're starting from three going through till seven with two acts 
Um, that's from December through till March. And then you've got venues like Jack's on the Showdown from when those terrace days are getting a little bit longer and warmer. Mm. They're starting their two gigs a day as well throughout Lodge de Village in Maribel Village and um, Latanya, uh, Ski Lodge in Latanya. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty good option of four places to really go for that party vibe and rock out. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's kind of interesting because, you know, my seasons in Mirabel were um, back in uh, the 90s. Although I've been going there uh, to the Three Valleys for, you know, for uh, for many years, <laughs> those venues were actually, you know, all, uh, you know, very good uh, then as well. Um, Chris, I'm going to bring you in. Yeah, I was just going to so I know Ella looks after the, the, the Ron point, you know, Ron is, is, is I mean, it doesn't get any better. And I think if you follow Juice is amazing, but a good night at Ronnie's, a good Aperiscuit Ronnie's is really, really amazing. But what I was going to say is, because um, there's a couple of standalone events and the Sound Clash, I know Ella probably has been to that Sound Clash in Maribel, is one of the best events. And that's where these two bars have set up competing sound systems and they kind of do 15-minute sets each and the crowd kind of, you know, turns to the different... Um, bars and it's almost become a kind of uk music scene versus uh european music scene because one of the bars is predominantly french one of the bars mm-hmm. is predominantly english um and i mean you know seeing the prodigy being pit against the macarena is one of the funnest <laughs> things you're going to see in your life and it's such a good atmosphere so i mean you know yeah thanks ella for sorting out so many different things because the, the music scene is amazing well you get to you get to enjoy it on a regular basis and you mentioned um lodge de village which i think possibly some listeners might not have discovered because we're talking about Mirabel village which is that lift's probably been there i don't know for 15 years now or something but to me it feels like it's a relatively uh, recent thing but lodge de village is a, a great spot there and you had some uh, kind of guest stars out there recently, uh, Ella, for the end of season party. We did. We did. Lots of the venues love to put on something a bit special towards the end of the season, maybe a closing party or, again, mini festival. Um, and we had The Feeling uh, come out and play, who were originally out here as a covers band um, many years ago. I think it was... Well, I can't give that exact date <laughs> before my time of being out here. Well, you know what? You know what? I can I can give that date because you know I was running Natives at the time, and uh, they were based out in Latania uh, for the season. We booked them for the Natives party that we used to run at the uh, the ski show on an annual basis, and they played there several years. And I'll drop a uh, I'll drop a video into the uh, show notes, but I'll I'll just chip in one anecdote about that, which I've probably said on the um, podcast before. But uh, John Tregell, who is our events manager at the time, um, Richard from the the basis from uh, the feeling or Superfly, as they were then, said, "Oh, I've got a name for the guest list. It's Sophie Ellis Bexter." I was like, "Right, yeah, Saturday night in October in London, we've got a ski show party, but you know, whatever, Richard, we'll put a name on the list." And I gave it to John and said, "Look, just just let me know if she does turn up because <laughs> that would be kind." And um, yeah, lo and behold, on a Saturday night, she turned up. And she'd had her hair dyed at, at the time. So she didn't, uh, uh, she looked completely different. So John asked her to pull out her passport to prove <laughs> that's who she was. <laughs> and she turned up and, you know, within, within uh, I think, a month of that, uh, they announced uh, that she was pregnant and they were getting engaged. And many years later, they're still married and, uh, you know, doing gigging out in the Alps. So that was that was in the uh, early 2000s uh, was when that was uh, going on. And they, they played at Lodge de Vlage for the end of a year concert this year. They did. They did. It was fantastic because they they drew a huge crowd, people that have known them personally from from over here. Um, I I anticipated, I think, maybe a slightly older crowd like myself, 40 and above, coming to see them. But actually, the amount of seasonaires who were there as well, because actually they would have been the band that they were, were growing up with. So having Matt Terrace singing along to their hits that everyone knows and loves, a few more that the super fans would recognise. And then the band absolutely loving this. Um, I think I described it in my post as a bit of a homecoming gig for them. They just love being able to play their favourite cover tunes as well. 
it was it was a very it was yeah it was a it was a brilliant vibe on that terrace that day and the guys were absolutely lovely and it was just a pleasure to to work with them and book that book that gig for them over yeah, here. cool and if i recall correctly video killed the radio star is probably the yes. uh the biggest of their covers right yeah it was huge yeah and they absolutely smashed walk like an egyptian by the bangles as well it was <laughs> right. yeah it's the best i think i've ever heard that covered so yeah, if you want to get a, a feel for it have a look at the video because um we filmed it in this venue in um well very near to olympia and uh, there's a lot of crowd surfing there's a lot of manic uh at prey uh, activity going on possibly not like that at uh, at uh, every venue chris what about yourself then you you live out in the three valleys where would you be going for your uh, at prey yeah ldv and um ronnie's i think is the they're the go-to ldv is i think if you've not been when it comes to when the sun comes out ldv at the end of the afternoon is one of the best places in the world to be even though it's essentially on a roundabout but it's amazing. And <laughs> do you know what's really funny for me is that somebody came a few years ago, um, just going back to your comment earlier about when that, that lift from Village is called the golf lift. And <laughs> I tell you what, Ian, it was over 30 years ago that they put it in. It was in the <laughs> early <laughs> 15 years. Yeah, yeah 15 years. It's, I was riding that in the mid 90s. Yeah, L- LDV, I think, is my favorite personally. And, and, but what I was going to say, so it's funny, someone came to Maribel and they got, because the reason it works is they've got these amazing umbrellas, you know, there's a huge thing and it opens up and it's got lights and it just changes the atmosphere. But I don't know who it was, but someone came to Maribel and they sold like four of them, didn't they? They sold one for the, one to the Ronnies, one to LDV, and they're not cheap. How much was that yeah. umbrella that they put in? I don't know. I know the one, the wrong point is the biggest in Europe. <laughs> That's right. quite a claim to fame with that one. <laughs> yeah, but it's brilliant. It's just perfect because everybody can stay and party and you're protected you're protected from you know the sun when it's as you say when it's uh, shining down and really hot still on and those times of uh, the season when it's getting a bit warmer um mm. and then also from the elements when it's snowing and uh, or dare we say raining every now and again you can still enjoy your apres Cool. Well, that's brilliant, uh, Ella. Thanks so much for uh, sharing all of that and uh, giving me the appetite to get back uh, to some apre uh, for next season in Les Tovalais. Uh, Mike, I'm going to come uh, to yourself now. Chris mentioned mountain biking in Wales. I know you've been skiing in Wales quite a bit. Have you ever been mountain biking over there? I'm not a mountain biker myself, but my partner, uh, her nephews are, are very much into it. They go up to the Dovey Forest as well, and they're in Bike Park, Wales. And then they've, got, they've built their own actual track in the uh, in the valleys, in the, in the kind of valley where they've, they've got up to the forestry there and uh, done it without anyone knowing. So they've got their own little uh, bike park. But yeah, it's it's getting more and more popular and for, and for the reasons Chris said, you know, and it's ironic. I think that, you know, when you look at Europe where the, the resorts that are supposed to be struggling in the future because of the lack of snow may actually turn out to be the ones that will be doing a lot better because that terrain, as Chris mentioned, you know, the lower angle and the, uh, the lower altitude terrain is very much suited to uh, that bike uh, experience. Right. Well, interesting. I think you can probably have uh, both at the same time. We don't need to necessarily say it's going to be a replacement for uh, for skiing or snowboarding. But, you know, for those resorts to be able to offer that, I think uh, I think resorts in general are very aware that they need to diversify what they're offering and therefore they're investing more in alternatives let's say to skiing whether it's you know for the summer uh, months and that's been my experience when in my my only time that i went skiing in scotland uh, at glencoe that and, and at uh, nervous range that's exactly what was happening there was snow up high but down you know, had to download at the end of the day in, the, in either the gondola or the chairlift but as you were coming down people were enjoying um in uh, downhill mountain biking so that multi-activity winter holiday experience or spring holiday experience where you can include a lot of different things i think is going to be the trend for the future yeah well let's take it back to skiing uh, just now the reason i wanted to have you on today is uh i know that you're out in bosnia in march and you know we've we've talked about all sorts of places that you've uh, skied before japan turkey wales uh, and many others um i wonder what took you to uh, to bosnia what how did that uh, go on to your lift and where did you head to a couple of things, really. I mean, number one, the snow was all over the show at that time of the year. You know, the, the, a lot of places were having snow but didn't have a base or they had a base and they weren't having snow or they'd got too warm. So that was one factor. 
Um, and I think, you know, when people have heard me talk in the past, if you throw enough time, money and inclination, you can ski pretty much anywhere in the world. Whereas this was a package holiday with Crystal Holidays, uh, going to a, a destination that wouldn't be on anyone's radar, possibly for skiing or even for a holiday. So as a consequence of finding where was the snow, where was it going to snow possibly where we were away, and being part of a package where all the heavy lifting and such has been done for you, it was it was a great combination. That's really interesting because I know you're flexible, you know, you're self-employed, you can, you know, choose to follow the snow and 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 pick up something on the spur of the moment, so to speak. But all the other times we've talked about before, you've arranged things independently and you've pieced it together yourself. So it must have been quite unusual for you to actually be going with a tour operator for a change. We use the tour operators, you know, even going to, to, to big places sometimes, sometimes you just can't beat their price, especially if you're prepared to wait. So what we tend to do is for our spring holiday, um, I've, I came back from Japan, I've been out there for a couple of months, and then this was the chance for Neris and I to go skiing together. She takes the time off work, so she books that time frame, and then in the lead up to that, I'm doing the research online and talking with people I know in the industry of who's got the goods, what's what's the situation there, and then we kind of narrow it down the closer it time it gets to that time frame. And oftentimes, if you can be prepared to wait, uh, you, you know we had a fantastic deal this this particular holiday to Bosnia uh, came in at five ninety nine each, and that was for the the flights, the ski carriage. Uh, the transfer to the uh, the resort and half board accommodation and the lift pass. You know, it's uh, it was a remarkable deal because we were able to leave it to the last minute. And I know a lot of people aren't, but I think that uh, if you know you're going to take time off, say for example, from the 10th of March until the 17th of March, then if you are willing to roll the dice, you'll always find a holiday, and you'll never pay more than you would have if you'd booked it six months prior. But you can get some really, really interesting deals come up. That yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've uh, nailed it uh, there, Mike. Because presumably you're going to tell me that you picked it because you knew the snow was good there. And the, how was the snow? <laughs> the snow was great. I mean, they it's it's one of those weird areas where you know a lot of people don't appreciate that it snows in lower altitudes outside of the major alpine regions, but. Uh, that sort of Eastern European area, they get a lot of snow. Um, and even though everyone was struggling in January, when the snow came then towards the end of January, they 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 picked it up pretty quickly. And much like my experiences um, in some of the lower altitude resorts in Italy and France and, and Austria and in Japan, it's not a very rocky um area you know the, the mountains themselves are quite grassed so it doesn't take a lot of snow to make the pieced areas at least uh viable again so you know when all those photographs were coming around in january where ski resorts were bare within a yeah. couple of weeks they had full coverage of their uh, 47 kilometers a piece and they had snow making yeah and just to clarify then you know you were obviously in a resort what resort was it so we were, there were two two resorts available from uh, from Crystal um, Yachorina, which was the host to the ladies alpine events in the nineteen eighty four Sarajevo Olympics, and then there's a, a nearby resort called Yelenitsa, which was the host of the men's alpine resorts, uh, sorry alpine events during that nineteen eighty four Olympics. So they're not very big, uh, but comparable to some of the smaller Italian Austrian um, resorts, tree lined little bit of open terrain up top. Um, Yachorina's got just under 600 metres of vertigo um, and Yelenitsa has just under 800 metres of vertigo. So more than enough terrain. There's more pisted terrain in Yachorina. They've got 47 Ks. Um, Yelenitsa has only got about 13 kilometres of pisted runs, but the world is your oyster. So it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, Crystal as a, a company is selling and promoting the area as a beginner's area because of the price point, I guess. But when you look at the terrain that's available, there's some fantastic steep terrain for advanced skiers. And then once you're able to ski in the trees and in the off-piece terrain, there's bags of it and no competition. It sounds uh, good. Was it lift access, that, you know, that uh, advanced uh, skiing? Or were you touring up to it or walking? No, everything went to the top, you know, and, and uh, we didn't go to the second resort. I mean, I, I contacted um, Crystal after the holiday because they're very, very close to each other, but they don't offer a day trip because it was the first time that they'd offered the uh, 
um, the area in their portfolio. But um, we chose Yacharina because it had more extensive terrain and the infrastructure was phenomenal. You know, they had two brand new gondolas, covered chairlifts, six seaters. Um, so the, the, the infrastructure was very, very modern. Lots of uh, mid mountain and half, you know, around the, the area, um, restaurants and facilities. So you felt, you know, it skied a lot bigger than it looks on on the piece map. Right. And what sort of altitude was it? You, you kind of suggested maybe it was a bit lower than uh, some other alpine places. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the base is around 1,300 metres and it goes to just under 1,900 metres in Yacharina and it just, just tops over 2,000 metres in uh, Yelenitsa. Yeah. It, it sounds great. You mentioned, obviously, the cost of the package itself was pretty low and that was, you know, half board so you're getting your meals in the restaurant uh, or in the hotel itself on the mountain and around a, a resort or how were prices coming in there super cheap i mean you know you get your coffee under two quid um your wine by the glass would be about two to two pounds fifty um a, a good size pizza lunch would be about eight pounds per person um and then they got this chivapi which is their sort of pita bread with salad and a, and a beef sort of a kebab kofta thing that was coming around at the same price uh, of about eight pounds so very very reasonable on mountain uh, but that's where the only downside of the area comes into the mix is uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina still allow smoking indoors what? so when the so the first three days we didn't notice it in one bit because the sun was shining we were eating outside on the uh, the terrace everything was great and then because i kind of followed the uh, the snow forecast um, predictions we got snow halfway through the holiday which is what we were anticipating and hoping for but then that brought everybody inside um, at lunchtime or for the the mid-morning or mid-afternoon breaks and then there was smoke uh, in, smoke-filled environments which were very alien uh, compared with you know where everywhere yeah. this changed now there's still a little bit of it in Japan when you go to the smaller resorts that I that I go to but so if you know that's pretty much the the no no or the, the the break off point for most people. So you know everyone has to be aware that you know there's still that smoking culture. It does seem so strange, doesn't it? Again, you know my my guessing of dates uh, as with the Lodge de Vlage probably be a, a way out, but it feels like a lifetime ago that smoking was banned indoors. I do remember it when I was doing my seasons uh, in the Alps. I was trying to explain to my kids the other day, you know, in restaurants, people will be smoking in restaurants and smoking areas in planes, etc. So it does seem very uh, odd. Uh, in terms of other people in resort, what were their nationalities? I mean, I'm guessing there were very few British there. No, I mean, even though there's a, you know, they've got the the tour company and there's a smaller independent company that brings people from the UK there. It was, it was very, very underrepresented by um, by Brits. Um, a lot of the neighbouring countries that are around that area, depending on who has the, um, uh, the the conditions. And actually the two resorts are in, you know, Bosnia-Herzegovina has kind of got three separate areas within the uh the restructured shape of the country and the the two resorts are in Serbska, which is kind of like an enclave of of the, the Serbs. So a lot of people come in from Serbia to ski there if they don't have the the conditions in the, the Serbian resorts. So, you know, a good mix of that sort of Central to Eastern European uh, clientele. Cool. Well, it sounds it sounds like a brilliant uh, trip. And I uh, really appreciate you uh, sharing it and let us know uh, about it. And I'll put a bunch of links into the show notes uh, so listeners can uh, have a look at that. Uh, and listeners, you might be interested to know that uh, Mike will be appearing uh, with me again at the uh, Birmingham Ski Show or the National Snow Show at the NEC in October for the Ski Podcast Live, where we'll be talking about uh, different destinations off the beaten track. I haven't decided yet what Mike is going <laughs> to talk about. He's got a lot on his uh, list that we can uh, cover. And, um, of course, if you do want to go to either that show or the London show, uh, you can still get a free ticket right now by using the code ski podcast at nationalsnowweek.com. Right. We're, we're moving to the end now. Just want to let you know that last week I also interviewed a chap called Peter Landsman. Now, he works at Jackson Hole, but he has visited over 3000 lifts in 720 resorts across North America. He just knows everything about every lift. He's a really interesting guy. I'm going to release that episode uh, next month, I think. But I'm just going to drop in a little clip now. In southeast Alaska, there are some towns with ski areas that are 
not accessible by any road. Um, so you either have to fly there or take a boat. And uh, I actually have a funny story. One of the last ones I visited was called Mount Eak, E-Y-A-K, uh, in Cordova, Alaska. And uh, I had to take a, a flight that's called the Milk Run on Alaska Airlines. <laughs> it stops, it starts in Seattle and it stops at like six different Southeast Alaska towns uh, on its way to Anchorage every day. And uh, it, we stopped at a few other towns first, but when we got to Cordova, uh, we stopped. There's no gates or anything, no no uh, terminal building. You just park on the tarmac and the plane stopped and nobody got up. And uh, and finally, after a few minutes, they got on the PA and they said, uh, Mr. Landsman, we have one passenger for Cordova. Please exit now. <laughs> and I was the only person going to that town that day. <laughs> so I'll be releasing that one uh, in July, I think. Now, uh, I enjoy all feedback about the show. and I do like to know what you uh, think, listeners. So if you've got any ideas for features, uh, you can contact me uh, on social at the Ski Podcast or via email theskipodcast at gmail.com. Uh, uh, had a few comments on, on the uh, website uh, Snowheads. Uh, Padsa said, a great interview with Chemi. That was number 175. Um, although, Padsa said, almost as long as a show, but without the rubbish bits. And I wondered, what are the rubbish bits? <laughs> I genuinely want to know. You know, let me know, because if you think they're rubbish, maybe we should cut them out. Uh, Vigman said, I loved episode 100, 176. That was about National Snow Week. Uh, Richard Sideways said, great interview with Tim Warwood in episode 177. And Dave of the Marmots uh, also talked about uh, the interview with Tim. A good insight into the accidental career of a professional snowballer. Now, there are over 170 episodes of the Ski Podcast to catch up with. I had a quick look, and 148 of them were listened uh, to in the last week. Maybe that's because we're out of season and people have got more ski time on their hands. Uh, that's an awful lot of listening. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, it would be brilliant if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts, because I believe that genuinely helps people uh, find us. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, interestingly, I had a look at our top episodes of all time of those 178 uh, episodes now. And number one uh, is episode 161 is a ski boot special, which I'm guessing people are probably finding through organic or maybe they just want to know lots about ski boots. Uh, second on the list uh, was number 86, which is all about uh, travel bands, Olympic tips, uh, and Stockley skis. That was from January 2022. And third on the list is episode 44 about uh, Gestalt, Valtorens, Verbier, and your dream ski job. Now, maybe people are looking it up uh, for that reason. They want to know about their ski job. And I can tell you, listener, that I'm planning an episode about ski jobs and how you find them. Uh, maybe for later this month if things go well. Uh, so for now, we're just going to finish off. You can follow me uh, at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. Uh, but for now, I'd like to say thank you to Le Trois for sponsoring the show. I'd like to thank my guest today for joining us. Uh, Ella, thanks very much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me on today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure for me as well. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, and Mike, thanks for joining us again and I look forward to seeing you at the Birmingham Ski Show. Always a pleasure and ever a chore oh. and I'm really looking forward to Birmingham. That's brilliant. Finally, thank you for joining us and until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.